0: good morning it's friday Yay! finally yay and we're waiting for deb to show i am certain there's something going on last week we had uh, a guest who actually had a father who's a father-in-law is on hospice fathers and he had things were not doing well so there we go deborah joy hart is here all righty hey,
1: and hi dr amy hi deborah we were worried about you are you okay uh yeah i went into the wrong uh, mail, email, the
0: wrong Facebook Messenger site for this. Yeah, That's whatever. Right. We, are, we are very happy to have Dr. Amy Parks with us. She is an amazing clinician. Um, I have known her for years. It feels like forever now. It's kind of like Deb. It's like you get to know someone and then they're just part of your world. And Amy's world is how the brain works, how kids work. How Teens Work, which is still a mystery to me. And I raised several of them. So, <laughs> Deb, <laughs> so we're going to talk all the grief with Amy about how it is that our brains work with um, grief and loss and all of that stuff. But first, quick check in. Deb, have you had a good week? Um, I've had an interesting week as you learn to
1: grieve things about your body that changes once you get on medicare i don't know it's a magic number so yeah yeah i'm doing adapting okay. you're adapting. I'm, adapting
0: I'm glad you're here and looking smiley anyway yeah and you're wearing extra clothes is it cool there no it's not but i i covered up my teeth. Okay. <laughs> i was gonna be out <laughs> it's hot and humid here it feels feels like arizona and has moved to california and florida as joined from the other side maybe Hawaii and
1: Deborah where do you live I live in East Central Illinois um, and you might have heard about some serious flooding that just happened a lot of my friends were adversely affected Wow in a little town called Gibson City and so lots of people were checking on me yesterday they had uh, eight inches or 10 inches within less than 24 hours Wow. And it just was too much for the whole town system. So people had lost, they've lost their belongings. They needed to be uprooted and moved. The nursing home residents needed to be moved to someplace else. And yeah, I'm safe. It's just regular hot today, but it was storming the entire day yesterday. Wow. Excuse me.
0: That's lousy. And Amy is on right next to the nation's capital. Yes, wow. I am. You're in so, Maryland. Uh, I'm gonna turn on the light. Hold on a second. Yeah. Since we're
2: live, we get to do all the fun things. Um, yeah. So, um, and it's not gonna turn on, so it's whatever. But um, no, I'm in Virginia, so I'm right outside the crazy town, and um, <laughs> we have had storms every day because it's been like over 100 degrees. So yeah,
0: we're all sharing it, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, so we had we had low we had
2: uh, you know crazy. Crazy, um, you know, we always have crazy political stuff. And then we had locusts and now oh, we yeah. have storms. So, you know, <clears throat> it's just plague after plague.
0: <laughs> don't invite more.
1: <laughs> There's a couple Jewish songs we can sing about that down the road.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like Passover, you know. The <laughs> Jewish friend said every time it's a Jewish holiday, you just don't eat. And then you wait till sundown and then you're happy you survived and you get to eat. And yeah, that's how mm-hmm. it goes.
2: Sometimes that's the story of our lives. Just whatever, just wait till the next thing. And isn't that an interesting segue to grief? Waiting till the next thing, just kind of the next wave happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. It that's is why we started life. this.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cuz we had people who didn't quite know what to do with all the grief, and we wanted to make sure we were doing it with the sense of humor that we are known for. Yeah. Because you can't grieve and you we can't get through a pandemic. Without no, I don't know
2: work. if I've ever told you how we explain. So when you introduced me, you said I do a lot of things with children. So just to kind of clarify yeah. that, I um, so I have a group practice in Virginia where we work with children, teens, and families called the Wise Family. And so when we work with children in grief, um, we use a lot of wardens thinking and philosophy around explaining grief to children. And so we explain grief in a way, um, not to be flippant, but really to kind of help understand help children understand it by talking about it in the terms of math homework so one day you get math homework and you know you're not really very happy about it it's really kind of hard and it's a struggle sometimes really it's you don't want to do it you just you you, you just really put it off it's just tough and but you get through it and the next day you you don't have math homework and it's a great day and you feel terrific and you know, like you get to go play and, and, and then the next day you have some math homework again and you got to deal with it again. And, and so, um, you know, and maybe one day you won't have any math homework or you just keep getting it and it just keeps coming. So okay. I don't know if that's a great way of explaining it, but that's kind of how we've done it. And it's um, it kids kind of get that. They're like, OK, we can we can accept that sometimes it's just going to come and go.
1: And, uh, you know, we just uh-huh. deal with that. I like that analogy, Amy, because uh, that's just what does happen. And there's different types of math homework. And some math homework, as you get older, is harder. You know, you now can do all the the multiplication tables. You have those memorized. Why do we need algebra? (laughs) And then you go through algebra the best you can. Or why do you go through geometry? And some are better at geometry and some are better at algebra. And then we won't even talk about calculus because I don't know what I'm talking about there. So Yeah, and you could just think about it just even in terms of homework.
2: So you know, yeah. if you really wanted to give give some credit to the math minds of the world, which I'm not one of them. I'm a I'm a soft science girl, not a hard science girl, but you know, even though I'm a brain enthusiast, but you know if you wanted to say, just say homework in general, you know, that's just the thing that, you know, kind of comes in and you deal with it. And then maybe the next day you don't have it. And, and I just appreciate that idea so much more than Mm -hmm. what we were taught in grad school, this, that we have these stages and then they end. And then you're supposed to like, move on. I've never, I've never understood that.
0: They're not grief. They're anticipatory grief. And right. Stop it. The
2: ocean doesn't stop. (laughs) the ocean doesn't stop flowing you know like mm-hmm. no one turns it
1: off
0: not yet <laughs> so don't tell me tell us tell, <laughs> tell us, us about figured that out. Uh, tell us about how it is when our brains are adapting to all those things how does it do that well you know interesting so when when Deb
2: came on she was talking about how her body she's dealing with the grief you know not grief necessarily but you know like grieving some Dangerous. of the things that she, she's lost in her body and mm-hmm. You know, part of um, part of the grief process in our brains is similar to what we experience in aging. And that is, you know, there's some, there's a degree of chemical change that occurs in the brain during grief or as we experience grief. Um, and there are some biomarkers that change. So when I talk about the brain, I use um, a very, um, you know, like a very biopsychosocial sort of model of the brain. So I talk about three different ways of talking about the brain. Um, And I talk about it from, I use a bottom up and I'll, I'll kind of like share this, but I use the bottom up outside in. So sorry, that's not bottom up. Duh. Bottom up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm getting confused. Um, Bottom up, outside in, top down. So bottom up is our genes, our hormones, our immune system, our gut, our nutrition and our exercise and our sleep. So if you if you think about our brain health from the perspective of genes, hormones, exercise, sleep, nutrition and all the things during the grief experience that though that are all of those things that are impacted during the grief experience. You can imagine the impact on the brain from the bottom up The sleep disturbance, the lack or change in nutrition, the change in gut health, the significant impact to immune health. So, all of the changes that happen from the bottom up that's that Mm -hmm. sort of like biological piece. And then we think about the impact of the brain from the outside in. The outside in is the social factors, social, stress, life experiences, education, environment. Of course, that's the that's kind of the easy part. We understand that, like all these things are changing. All this stuff social, coming at us. All this stuff is coming at us. Your <clears> social <throat> circle, your relationships, clearly are are massively changing. Your ha- what you're managing stress wise, um, you know your your experiences of having to understand new things, navigate new systems, figure out new ways of of managing, like you know complicated making complicated decisions during periods of time when it's very difficult. So all those outside-in things are making changes to the brain. And then the top-down. And the top-down part are the thoughts, emotions, mindset, and beliefs. So these are sort of the religious elements, the mindset we have about how much longer do I have, or maybe it was my fault, or maybe I was in a, had a role in this, or... Maybe I should have said goodbye sooner or maybe I I had uh, a role to play in this or, um, you know, the sadness or or the unresolved issues around the grief. All of that comes from the top down. So if we think about this bottom up, outside in, top down, and I use my hands a lot whenever I do that because it, we have to, in order to remember that, I want you to think about the brain as this like thing in the middle it's squished down by all of this, physically compressed, um, shrunken really by all of this, because blood flow and oxygenation is significantly reduced. And you see massive amounts. So you see a lot of cardiovascular change, the changes significant blood flow and oxygenation to the brain. And then as I was saying, you see a lot of chemical changes. So the research that we have um, you know, really result really shows us that there is a huge increase in cortisol, which is, of course, a stress related hormone. Mm-hmm. So there you got that bottom up part. So you've got hormones mm-hmm. increasing and an, an, a lot of dysregulation in those kinds of um, chemical imbalances that that just wreak havoc on a system that relies on balance. And. Mm-hmm. Um, And so this sort of disordered imbalance makes everything just kind of out of whack.
0: And bigger. Um,
2: Yes. More just brighter, more complicated, you know, harder. And and all of those things just really... add to, you know, add, add so much to the experience. So, you know, we kind of, when you say bigger, you know, like in the brain world, we call that activated. Everything is just so much more activated. Um, Yet at the same time, I think the feeling for many people that have experienced profound grief or complex grief, um, you know, is that I don't feel activated. What the heck? Why do you use that word? I just want to go to bed. I don't feel activated at all. But in fact, you are extraordinarily activated in that way um, because you're so you're there's so much imbalance.
0: What does that look like in a child?
2: It well, it will look exactly like you could imagine it would look. Either either in ex, you know very extreme changes in what you would normally or typically see. So you would you know you would see extreme sleep, extreme isolation, extreme you know. Um, changes in behavior so you'd see like this extreme like wanting to not be have anything to do with people or extreme acting out extreme emotionality extreme dysregulation you might see that in teens as well and you know you might see that very well in adults you know um i mean we certainly have you see you're absolutely i mean <laughs> all of us have or many of us have had the experience um you know uh, in a in a in a sad and 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 profound way of being with someone in in a, in the first you know moments of grief and and the and just like the extreme like reactions to that that's that immediate rush of cortisol and adrenaline that comes from this shock and that coursing through the body causes dramatic shifts to the brain of fear of anxiety, of stress, of of lack of safety, of unbalance.
1: You know, adults can, and this makes total sense, adults might say, I feel like I'm in a fog. Well, a kid might not be able to use that metaphor. And so they're like emotionally bumping into things because they can't see further Or there might say, uh, you know, you might see them literally just sleep under the covers in their blanket fort, where adults would are not as quick to allow themselves to, you know, be curled up like this. And so I I I I find that so uh, fascinating and yet. What are the tools some parents can use out there in Facebook land and here in the studio? What are some things they can do to help help cross that bridge or be a light in the fog or, you know, peek under the blanket fort and go, do you need some Fruit Loops? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, First you of know, all,
0: Captain Crunch. Not Captain so Crunch. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Well, certainly before we talk about, you know, what to do about it, I think the other thing we need to focus on is, um, and and this isn't true, uh, again, this also isn't true just for children, but true for adults is, is, um, you know, not only these, um, these complicated sort of um, outside behavioral things that we see emotionally, and, and again, behaviorally, but also cognitively, because more recently, research has shown us that, there are some, you know, really complicated grief has shown us that there has been some, there's some really significant cognitive changes to mm-hmm. people um, or for people who are trying to continue to go to work or <clears throat> trying to continue to go to school and function. Yes.
0: Um people lose jobs in, while they're grieving.
2: Yes, and, right. and continue to function and do a job that may be maybe um, a very complex job or maybe not a complex physician. Cognitively, but just even the process of a repetitive job that requires them to um, maintain some focus is extraordinarily difficult. Even as recently as 2021, um, we f- have research that tells us that um, there are um, some changes in, in individuals that had complicated grief, um, that there were poor cognitive test scores than individuals that, that experienced what we term non-complicated grief. Um, although I think that that's an interesting measure. I would, I would, I would defer to the two of you in terms of your expertise around what is, de- what's defined as complicated versus not complicated. Cause I can't imagine there's any such thing as not complicated. Um, <laughs> you know, really like what's, what's not complicated. Um, but um, you know, the, cogn- the declining cognitive ability and, 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 you know, as I talked, as we talked about, like a reduction in brain volume that comes from reduced oxygenation and blood flow over time because there is a, there is a deterioration of mass and brain matter um, over time. So, you know, so so anyway, I just wanted to mention that because, you know, the longer sort of we, we, we remain um, in this grief period... And, and again, deferring to you in terms of where, when you get to the point of asking for help, um, the, the more damage is happening during that activation period, right? So the more, uh, the less the fruit Loops are going to help um, or the harder it is for the fruit Loops to make a
0: difference. Throwing them. At yeah,
2: someone, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. You know, um, you know, they might string a good necklace, but they might not, you know, they're not going to necessarily, <laughs> they're not going to necessarily, necessarily solve the problem in the way that you need them to. So, um, you know, and, and, and not to mention the ruminating thoughts and the repetitive thoughts, and then these ongoing, then more cognitive, emotional patterns of behavior that we know just like, because we know how the brain works regularly, that once we build a habit, even if it's a bad one, <laughs> we keep doing it. So, right, right. Like which is where we get people
0: stuck in grief.
2: Right. So we have this thing, right. So we have this thought that, oh, it was my fault or I didn't say goodbye or I didn't get to be there or whatever the thought is. Then we start ruminating about it. And then the, with that pattern, right, we get stuck.
0: I have a question. So, she she charges a lot. Ask one carefully. Okay. <laughs> Let me think. Uh, Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Uh,
1: um, can the brain repair itself as time goes on? Because I've been a lot of people saying, oh, my God, all this damage is happening to my kid. What am I supposed to do? I can't fix it. There you go. Yeah. I hear some
2: anxiety for you, Deborah, about that. You've asked a couple of times about children and (laughs) and repair and healing. So, so I'm getting the sense that you're feeling like this time of your life, what, what can I do to, to, to heal? And I get that. And I hear that. And, and so of course, you know, the standard line of we all have to do the things we have to do to take care of ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Eat, exercise, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But you know, the thing that's really wonderful about the brain that I that I love, that we didn't know, what, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, right. 15 uh-huh. maybe, I don't know, uh-huh. I'm getting old, I can't keep track anymore, but not that long ago, I can say that for sure, um, is that the brain has a miraculous ability to regenerate, um, or to not regenerate per se, but to build new neuronal connections. And so um, we used to think that you know, the brain didn't really do much of that. It just was pretty much, you know, what you were born with was what you got. And you could certainly learn, but that didn't mean that you were necessarily growing in the way that if you had, um, you know, damage to the brain, that there would be significant ability to recover. But um, what we've seen in a lot of traumatic brain injury studies and a lot of other kinds of, um, kinds of research is that there are there are you know many many ways that the brain can can recover and especially mm-hmm. in situations where there is support. So and, and yeah. again, not just not just therapy. Although I think therapy is the bomb. Social but support. Yeah, but you. But we're talking about again. Let's go back to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Bo- you know, bottom right. up, pop down. I keep saying bottom. Bottom up, <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> bottom up, top down, outside in. So let's keep saying, t- we have to approach it from all those directions because That's one of right. them is not going to work alone. It's not just about the fruit loops. I mean, those, again, right, right. but it's not just that. And so a lot of times, especially with parents, um, and I know that you guys are both parents. I have four kids of my own. They're all young adults. And um, our when, in our practice, many, many, many times parents say, please fix our child i'll be back in 45 minutes yeah I and know. yeah and and that's not
0: <laughs> and we're not that, part of this issue
2: yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not enough yeah. um and and we're really clear that that's not going to work um and so again you have to be looking from all of those angles we have to be looking at the nutrition and the sleep that's why we do what we do it all of us in terms of asking all those questions, right? And plugging all the holes and doing the social worker stuff that asks all these biopsychosocial questions, biopsychosocial, social sexual, right? We ask That's all right. that stuff right. Um, right, for a really good reason, um, because all that stuff needs to get asked. Um,
0: and we do have research that shows that folks who have not only all the support from, if they need it from a therapist, and they're getting the sunshine and the nutrition and all the other things, they have to have social support systems, not necessarily family, but Mm -hmm. chosen family, essentially, who can support them in what they are doing. If they don't have that, that recovery is so much harder. And if they have a shared idea of what grief is, then they definitely do better together, which is why we should be doing better in this pandemic, damn it. And they're, and they're more willing to talk and, and they're willing to talk about it. I mean, it's
2: just like sex, you know, it's it, right. when families but aren't willing wants to, to talk. talk about, yeah. When they're willing to talk about it, you know, I read something, I'm going to look for this quote because it was so good. I actually just read it last night and I, and I, and I forgot to pull it out before our talk today. Um, so I, while I'm looking for it, I'm going to, I'm going to mention this. Um, one of the things that is, is, is in fact true. This isn't, you know, like a profound difference. But one of the things that's definitely true um, about children versus adults is that, um, or a significant difference is that um, they have, um, they don't have the same data points. They don't have the same number of data points that we do as adults to tell them that it will not last forever. That the grief or the pain or the sadness or whatever it is that they're feeling, um, will not last forever. That is a, that is a pretty significant difference. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we know with children that we often have to do is implicitly tell them this feeling will not last forever. This feeling will change with children, with adults. You know, we have the data points to know that some of them, most of the time we know, most of the time we have that most, most, healthy people recognize that we have the data points to see that things will change. Um, but we don't always, um, but most of the, but children definitely don't. I mean, they've lived what, six years. That's nothing right, right, in this same right. thing. So they don't Not know,
1: time. no sense mm-hmm. of, so that makes a big difference. And a lot of times the children are looking to the parents and the parents are also grieving. And so the parents are, what'd you do?
0: Bottom All up. We should practice this. Bottom, top up, down, top bottom down.
1: up, surround, and top down. Yeah. yeah, right? well, should be, in, okay. yeah, yeah we're going to start the-
0: every week for like that. We're going to do this step. We're going to do this. This breathe in, and this. Surround. <laughs> Come <calm> down. <Breathe>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm in there. That's kind of right. like extra exercise for our brain. There you go. Just cross it over a few times and then we're really doing well. So what I wanna say is, you know, the parents themselves are grieving. And so their capacity for healthiness. That's why you sort of need like those outer circles of, you know, maybe grandparents or maybe uh your your peers at at school. Notice I keep surrounding the social stuff. I'm doing yes. that exercise. Yes, I have to else. have right. And the other the other part <laughs> that I find is, you know, kids might compartmentalize, but not as much as adults, right? It just sort of flows over to, it, they can't just, you know, do their math problem and not think about, you know, daddy dying or something. It's like all, it, it just the psychosocial, but mostly this part, your hormones are still going to be going. And kids at different ages, like a six-year-old versus a thirteen-year-old. I mean, you can put them in their um, categories of what you know and what you don't know at that particular age, or what you're becoming aware of. But right. uh,
2: what I wanted to what I wanted to share um, in the other distinction about you know, children and adults and is that's important to mention. I'm reading Lori Gottlieb's. Have you ever read Lori Gottlieb's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone? I'm in um, it
0: right now. Yeah,
2: it's a great book. And um and I'm reading it. And one of the things that she said was, um, and, and that makes a distinction between adults and children is that her quote is death is of course an instinctive fear that we often repress, but that tends to increase as we get older. So because what we fear isn't just dying in the literal sense, but in the sense of being extinguished, the loss of our identities, of our younger and more vibrant selves. Mm -hmm. But as children, we don't have that. Um, We don't have a younger, more vibrant self. We don't even really have an identity yet. And for children, they don't even, they don't have that sense of time. So to understand that there is a finite Period of time to life, or a finite time period for anything. The first death most children experience is of a pet.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: mm-hmm. you know that finite sense is is really un, you know, they have an, a, a, a really limited awareness of. So you know, I mean, and we're not necessarily here to talk about children per se, but there's there are some distinct differences. And so you know, as we talk about like the the healing process, which I'm not even sure. If is an appropriate thing to say, but if we talk about like this healing, I mean we want to be healing. And I don't know if healing, you know, healing feels like the medical model. And I'm not sure I feel like I want to so embrace it.
0: More with the reorganization. Yeah. You, you finish all of the you go through the trauma, you finish the stuff, and then you reorganize your life around the loss.
2: Yeah, which feels more that feels a little more organic to me. Like I never you know, even when you have, like, I don't know, in our field, I feel like we've, we so buy into this medical model. Like you have to be fixed. Right. Right. And and I I don't think it applies in this grief. I mean, my grandmother is, you know, many, several people in my family are deceased and they're not ever coming back and there's no fixing that.
0: So, you know, like,
2: you know, you take out your spleen and it's gone. And, you know, there's no fixing that. But in the medical model, you're fixed, right? And I just don't want to buy into that for this particular conversation. No. So so healing feels, I don't know, feels like a... But I want that to be... I understand how other people think of it that way. So we can talk about that healing, but...
0: Now, tell us how humor changes our brain while we are in the middle of grief. What does it do for us? Because we have research that shows it
2: helps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean at the very just fundamental, you know, bottom up level, at the very fundamental bottom up level, um, your humor is going to improve your, all of your endorphins. It's going to increase your blood flow. It's going to improve your immune system because it's going to help you with your oxygenation. It's going to do a lot of things that increase your energy and, um, bring you just some, um, just overall sort of lightness. And so from the bottom up perspective, humor and laughing and being with people that just bring you joy, Mm -hmm. um, even if it's for a minute, um, is gonna increase that that level of support from that bottom up level, the bottom up area for the brain. So there's just, there's no denying that whatsoever. Um, and then, of course, if we look at the outside-in perspective, when we're looking at humor, we're looking at being surrounded in an environment that's not solely focused on the grief experience. So, mm-hmm. for a minute, we're allowed to right. escape this opportunity. This, this sort of grief experience. So, our brain is able to take a rest. We're able to. Um, we're able to maybe. Um, reduce our stress, which of course lowers our blood pressure, which reduces our cortisol again, bottom up reduces our cortisol levels again, changes our hormones. So it humor is bringing us more into balance, even if it's just for a few minutes, because what happens is every time our brain and our body come back into balance again, um, we get closer and closer to maintaining it. So the longer Mm -hmm. we're out of balance, the harder it is to get back into it. Mm -hmm. So we want these moments of getting back into balance to get kind of longer and longer and longer and longer. Um, It's, you know, it's just like anything we do in life. You know, you start out and you can lift a five pound weight and then you do that for a few weeks and then maybe you can lift a seven pound weight. And then maybe you can do that for a few weeks. It's the same kind of concept where you start small and you and you expand out. And so, and then of course from the top down, the thinking about the changing in your cognition and your thinking. You know, just being able to take a break from the heavy thinking that you're doing around grief um, is going to change how your brain is able to cope, how you're able to make decisions, um, how you're able to support the the thoughts that you might be having. And and really, you know, um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being able to escape um, some some hard feelings for a while to to enjoy some happy memories versus, you know, some drowning in maybe sad ones, um, focusing on, um, you know, planning for the future possibly versus being stuck in the now or the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things, are ways that um, we support our brain health and bringing it back into, allowing it to bring our body back into balance.
1: You know, the nurse in me goes, that's like uh, pain management, okay? And in pain management, you know, people take a Tylenol and say, I don't need any more. And they go, it's not working, it's not working. You actually, need to sort of get ahead of the pain yeah so yeah. the first tylenol might not work but by the time you come around four hours later it's in there that is not the time it's sort of like therapy oh i don't need to come anymore and you're like let's let's see yep. if we can extend this one or two more times you know and so you know it's a, Go ahead. Go ahead, Amy. So funny that you said that, Deborah, because the
2: first major grief experience I had in my life was when I was a young adult and my grandfather died. And I grew up next door to my grandparents. So my grandparents, my grandparents lived here and we lived right next door. And I spent every summer. I'm sorry, my Wi-Fi is a little wonky here. Um, I spent every summer uh, with them at their house. Uh, every summer, all day. I spent every weekend with them. um, And I had dinner with them every Sunday night, every Sunday night for my entire life. Literally. We had Chinese food literally every Sunday. I can't stand egg foo young. I can't stand it. I call it egg foo yuck. I can't stand (laughs) it. It makes me feel sick. Anyway, every Sunday night. So my first grief experience was my grandfather. And I had gone with a friend to see this comedy club, co- comedy troupe called the Capitol Steps. Oh and yeah. Have you seen them? Okay. Oh, yes. So they're hysterical. And I think I peed my pants that night. It was so funny. Okay. They were so funny. I don't even remember who was president then, but of course when you live in DC, it's like three times funnier, right? Yes. So I, I like, it was so, so, so funny. And we had, we had the Capitol Steps. I like peed my pants, laugh, 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 laugh. And we get home, and my grandfather had died. Hmm. And I am convinced, one hundred and fifty percent convinced, that I handled that in a completely different way than I would have if I had not laughed for three straight hours before right. I found that out. That's oh, right.
0: Sure,
2: I'm yeah. absolutely convinced. If I had, if I had just been like sitting around eating dinner, hanging out, I would have. It would have been like a Mack truck. I mean, it wasn't not, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination, but I I was like primed. I was like happy primed. I don't know what that would be called. We should come up with a name for it. But I was like happy primed. I was like
1: ready. Like you said, I'd had the, I'd had the pump. You had the shoot. uh, Yeah. uh, In nursing, we would prime the pump. That means put some medicine in there. I was primed. Yeah. You primed. Your psyche and your brain, with the with the dopamine, the serotonin, the exactly. blood vessels. I, I mean, this is the science. The blood vessels, the large blood vessels of the heart, expand with heavy belly laughter. I don't know about your bladder, but I do know the capital steps, and <laughs> you know, and you know, oh. you did all that bottom up stuff, right? And your adrenals had slowed down, you've increased, I I mean, this is what happens, the IgA in your cheeks, and the IgE to other uh, peptides or whatever they are, they, um, they've increased, so you boosted your immune system. I mean, it's, it's crazy, the science behind laughter. But you also was feeling that social support of whomever you went with. And so now you're dealing with the hugs of the brain, like that, and then the top down. More of those chemicals, more of those things. And um,
2: Isn't that interesting? So it really does, it it does really speak to the value of, you know, singing and laughing and and really just being as joyous as possible. In the mm-hmm. opera, you know, in the experience of being with a person grieving, because, um, you know, how how much of a difference it would make, you know, mm-hmm.
0: in the future. Wow, wow! Thank you for being here. Yeah, I, I I'm seeing tons of stuff coming through at the top that doesn't show up because of the way StreamYard works. But thank you so much. I think we have made a dent, Deb, in a lot of the questions we've been getting from folks. Yeah. You know, we yeah. said we know the answers, but we need someone who knows the answers and has all the letters and, yeah. and explain it. And so from now on, we are going to start everyone with bottom up. Bottom up. <laughs> hugs. Down. Awesome. No. So in. it's bottom up. Bottom up. No, it's top
1: down. Top down. No, top top down. down. Top down. Okay. And then hugs. I'll sign oh, okay. Got I'll it.
2: Okay. I'll film a video for you. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> good. We'll good. good.
2: All right. This all of our face.
0: viewers, this is what we do. <laughs> Bottom up. Top down. down. Outside. I Um. did not invent that. Let me be sure.
2: (laughs) Sarah McKay and Dr. Sarah McKay in Australia invented that. Let me make sure. Or well, I, I give her credit. I did not come up with
1: it. <laughs> she could
0: join us too if she wants
1: us. But she, she, the the she night could. There. She's brilliant. You know. You know what, Jill? I'll try to remember. I actually have a giant blow up brain because I would use it. Yeah, it's one of those where you blow them up. So I'll try to like hug my brain. Oh, I, think,
0: yep, I think Amy needs one of those. I do oh, too. You I can have order
1: a, them. They're,
0: I have a brain pillow. Come.
1: That's cute. Ah, see,
0: there you go that's yeah. maybe he needs it in bright yellow. You'll have to ask me another time why she needs it. <laughs> in yellow. Ah, okay. And I know <laughs> Hannah Stacy Reedy is watching, so Hannah, perhaps say, Hannah Stacy Reedy, perhaps you should find that blow-up brain and get it mailed She's off. She's quite to skilled at finding those kind of things? She I does find that. the cool stuff. It is. It is. It all right, everybody. Have a good week, Amy. Thank you for being here. Will you consider coming back another time? Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yay. Especially if we're gonna laugh. We are. Always oh yeah. All we're right. There. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye, everyone. Thanks, Amy. Thank you.